Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Do you want to go to rugby heaven? Let's go back to 1987 with Squidge. With Squidge. Let's go back to 87 with Squidge. Hello and welcome to the Squidge Mic Test Retrospective Podcast, the, the rugby podcast where we test the mics an awful lot before recording and nothing seems to work. I am joined as ever by Will Owen. Will Owen Mark 4. I'm Will Owen the 4th because this is our 4th attempt at recording this. You, so oh, you, our granddad, and yes. um, then a few other versions from like parallel universes, is that what we're talking Yeah, I guess so. Does every failed podcast attempt to create an alternate universe where that podcast went ahead and there's an alternate podcast that exists somewhere in the apple spheres i think you're right actually i think we have just an apple sphere is actually just known as an apple yeah we have just created four different timelines right and what i want us to do mm. is record all four of those podcasts within this one or like what we yeah. what we imagine would have happened so the first one right we went ahead mm. for the first four seconds we thought this is, this is it. This is the world. This is the universe we want. The one with no technical difficulties. Because guess what? Mm. There were none in the first four seconds. So we thought there'll be none for the full hour and a half, right? What jokes were we, would we have made in that universe? Oh, I mean, we wouldn't have made any jokes about parallel universes because it mm. would have run smoothly. Yes, so we've all mic all tests. Immediately. We've already yeah, immediately yeah. gone off with all of this everything everywhere, all the podcasts at once bullshit. Okay, okay. Well, I mean... Universe One. Do you want to go to rugby heaven? Let's go back to 1987 with Squidge. With Squidge. Let's go back to 87 with Squidge. Hello, welcome to Squidge Rugby World Cup Retrospective. Today we're going to talk about France against Zimbabwe and it's going to be great. Will Owens here. I am here, and I'm having a really good time. We're just going to talk about the rugby today and nothing else. Who's your man of the match? Mine's Pascal Ondards, the tight head for France. I thought he'd be played. Yeah, I've got to say, mine is exactly the same guy. I don't know who he is, but I really liked him. And which player do you think is a cunt? I think all of them. Goodbye. Thank you. Please join us next time when the game will be (laughs) Wales against Canada. We'll see you then for rugby. Okay, so Universe 2 now, right? So in this one, I had a faulty microphone myself. Mm. So we're going to do a bit of that. Just a tiny bit. Okay. Do you want to go to rugby heaven? Let's go back to 1987 with Squidge, with Squidge. Let's go back to 87 with Squidge.
Hello and welcome to the Squid Rugby World Cup Retrospective Podcast, the rugby podcast that celebrates no one but Neville Cloppers. I'm joined together by today, Will Owen. How are you? Ha <laughs> ha! That's so relatable. Thank you. That's one of the funniest things you've ever said on this podcast. Now, I'd really like to ask you for some proper insight, of course. You've done analysis of the channel and you've written a lot for Rugby Pass and the 15, uh, as well as Rugby World in the past. And I'd like you to perhaps say some of the most insightful things about rugby you've ever said in the past before. Wow, that really was some of your finest work. And the other thing I really want to ask from you is all, all, all about horses. Can you tell me about horses at length, please? That's so interesting. I really didn't know much about hooves before you told me that in great detail. That's that's unbelievable. Thank you. That's been a really fascinating episode. Who's your man of the match? R- right. No, Um. I also agree. I also think that uh, Pascal Ungdards is phenomenal in this game. I think he's absolutely unbelievable. And who's your dick of the day? And... You, 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 I mean, I've got to explain to you, this is a audio podcast and therefore you can't just point at the screen um, and say, I don't know if you mean me or the the camera itself. Um, you're now nodding. He's now nodding and saying, mouthing the words, no me, no you. Now, the really difficult thing here is that when I say no you, I say it meaning the camera. So the dick of the day today is the camera. Please join us next week when the game will be Canada against Wales. Okay, so that's universe number two done. Mm. So uh, on to number three. And what happened here was that you had really muffled audio, which sounded terrible. But y- your your mic was on. Mm. Okay, so are we ready for this? Mm. Please. Do you want to go to rugby heaven? Let's go back to 1987 with Squidge, with Squidge. Let's go back to 87 with Squidge. Oh, wow, Squidge wrong, but wow, the retrospective. And I'm drawing my willow and as your mother. My mother? Oh, she... Oh, my mother, she's she's fine. Yeah, yeah, she's currently on holiday in Italy. How are, how are you? Oh, I'm all right, yeah. I'm currently in Nottingham. Congratulations. Do you want a <laughs> kick? <laughs> Why have you got the northern filter on? Wait, go into Zoom settings, Ruby. Go into... Hold on. Should, um, yeah. on more, M- you should say... M- wait, wait, dialect. Where's this? Under Zoom... Because I'm on... I'm on... I'm on Mac... <laughs> So it's yeah, different. Okay. So it's the along the bottom. The bottoms are different. Okay, okay. I don't know in that case. Who's your man of the match? It's gotta be Pascal Ondarts. <laughs> oh, I think he's so good at rugby. <coughs> you know what? In this universe, I agree with you. Who do you think's the dick of the day? Well, I can't escape from Malcolm Jellicoe. Okay, yeah, yeah, he's he's a bit of a dick at times, I, can't I guess. can't escape from him. I'm trying. Hiding yeah. in maze. Can't get away from him. I would say that my dick of the day, come to think of it, is... 
Probably you if you didn't have that accent. Because I'm really mm, grateful that you do have that accent. I think that in another universe where you don't have that accent, I would say that you would be a dick. And I'm really glad that you now do. So please join us next time when the game is Canada 9 Wales 4 Yeah, there we go. That's that universe everyone done with. So we're back in timeline number four now, where everything is running very smoothly and nobody has a very strange voice box inserted into them three seconds before Wait. we start recording. Wait, no. Was I supposed to be on recording? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Shit. Okay, thank you for joining us. As we've just mentioned, the game today is France's 70 points to 12 win <laughs> over Zimbabwe. Which It's nice that I we think... distracted ourselves from that. <laughs> I think... So I had a I had a mass breakdown reading the score out last week on the episode of Adam. <laughs> yeah. You did realizing just what I think it just clicked for me what we're doing. Yeah, yeah. How was how was how was your experience of coming to terms with covering this game? You know what? I quite enjoyed it, but mm. probably aided by our simultaneous mainly you having a breakdown last week. I think most things in my life are a lot easier to come to terms with if I've already seen you have a breakdown over it. <laughs> Yeah, Hence why I came I to work quite with often. you. Yeah. <laughs> That's why you I employed me, man. Very often. Yeah. That's why I love editing this podcast. Yeah, I, I mean, it's mostly... Most of the stuff you cut out is me crying. Yeah. Which is the same if you were to make any documentary on my life. It's also the stuff I leave in. You're permanently crying. You're actually I crying right now. Cry pretty often. Not always, yeah. but pretty often. Yeah. So, yeah, so I am currently in Worcester for the Premier 15's final, which is tomorrow as we record this. And I was trying to fit in time to watch this game mm. whilst on the journey over so we could record it once I arrived. I'm currently recording in the you yes. know, hotel having arrived here. And I ended up watching most of this game during the kind of layover in Birmingham New Street. Christ, I'm so sorry that you've been to Birmingham So. Today. I watched it in pla- the waiting section of Platform 9B in Birmingham okay. New Street. So if take anyone you didn't listening, enjoy it. I, there's a chance that someone is going to listen to this whilst at Birmingham New Street and will lose their minds. It's possible. I've had that happen before. What an experience. You've but had it happen before 9B, where you've listened to a podcast that mentions Platform 9B at Birmingham New Street specifically and you're at Platform 9B at Birmingham New Street? It's not an interesting story. Okay. So don't prompt me into telling it. Okay. I once listened to a podcast talking about... I've had it happen both with trains and a pub where I've been listening to a podcast that mentioned a pub in Nottingham that I then walked by. It's pretty good. And the podcast wasn't Nottingham-based. I w- okay, yeah. So I once had... I once listened to a podcast where it was an interview with Jason Williamson from the Sleaford Mods and he mm. mentioned the Nottingham Mail Centre while I was working there. But oh, well. at the end of the day, I was listening to a lot of podcasts while I was working there if any of them mentioned it, it was going to be the one where they interviewed Sleaford Mods, wasn't it? So, yeah. Or the post-retrospective podcast. Yeah, um, I don't listen to when that. When they look over the post from 1987. Yeah. Um, no. <laughs> that would be a shit podcast. Looking over anything from 1987 is a shit podcast, in fairness. They should do a podcast where they look over what the Steven Spielberg film The Post would be like if they'd made it in different years. That's a good idea. So Maybe we'll do that when we run out of World Cups. Like, you know, in his full pomp of, like, off the back of E.T. and so on, he went and made a mm. film about events that hadn't happened yet. 
That would be smart. That would be very forward thinking. Because look, I think a lot of the a lot of the best movies are about things that haven't happened yet. Mm. And I'm not just talking your Back to the Future. I'm talking like Harry Potter hasn't all happened yet. I know that's a book. The Godfather hasn't happened yet. It has actually. Oh shit! King Kong. Whole other thing. Uh, King Kong is due to happen on Thursday, I think, actually. There we go. Okay. So yeah. Spielberg, the year of this World Cup, released Empire of the Sun, which is, of course, the mm-hmm. favourite film of... The band Empire of the Sun with the stupid hats? That would make sense. Alan Wynne-Jones. Oh, is it? It's Alan Wynne-Jones' favourite film, Empire yeah, of the that's Sun, cool. by Steven Spielberg. So there you go. There's a little little bit of trivia Never knew that. For you. That's cool. Yeah. And trust Alan Wynne-Jones to be about the only rugby player who has a interesting favorite film yeah what do you imagine um, most rugby players like are into so film wise you'll know this i was flicking through the new rugby world this morning mm. and there is a you know they have the thing sometimes at the side that says like top three films you know positions and whatever okay like foods you know yeah. one of those players these and it's almost always positions. like fast and furious okay so generically yeah. and they clearly don't mean the first one because the first yeah. one is kind of it's such a weird thing to look at that because the first one is like a very straight drama about street racing. And by episode mm. nine, or, you know, the ninth film, they're crazy, wacky cartoon adventures where they're going into space. And it does a make sense. Different it does franchise. add up that it would be Fast and Furious and that sort of... Yeah, it's that Car sort of... action. Yeah. And then maybe they'll be like... Someone will be like, bloody Godfather in the best film ever made. Yeah, cool. yeah. Uh, yeah. And there'll probably be some player probably playing for like... Bloody, who's a rubbish club? Oriac. No, not them. Uh, probably somebody will be like bloody Citizen Kane, but it's the, it's the best movie. Yeah, yeah no, it's, is it? Or Batman is Begins. It? I bet. I bet at least one rugby player likes Batman Begins. So I can tell you that uh, Keegan Frere of the Blue Revs and also India. Okay. Who is the Indian player playing at the highest possible, highest level in rugby? Okay. Uh, who they interview in this? His three favorite films are Fast and Furious, John Wick, and The Notebook. Okay, sure. And that's about standard. That's about yeah, standard. Yeah, yeah. That feels like somebody has just taken a very accurate punt at what films rugby players like. Yeah. See, here's the thing. They interview Michele Lamoureux in here. Don't ask him. Don't ask him oh, what man. films are. I bet Michele Lamoureux would, would be into good films. Bloody, yeah, like Cinema Paradiso. You know, it's bloody Italian, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, you know, Probably yeah. loves that. Probably yeah. like likes all know, Italian with, things. He evidently. was once a kid with curly hair, you know. True. He's probably into it. He's probably yeah, into yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Finally, up. a film podcast again. It's been so long. Yeah, no, it's nice. It's nice. I remember once when this was probably getting on six or seven years ago now, mm. but you were looking at something that was profiling all blacks, and you asked me to guess who. They each said, as, you name, tell me which old black it is, and asked me mm. to guess who they each said was like their favourite music artist. And like four okay. of them were Drake, and I just guessed Drake yeah. first every time. And like basically all old blacks love Drake, and Kanye's the other one, but Kanye's great, so. Mm. I'd have thought it'd yeah. be Chris Brown. Oh, Chris Brown's another one. He's a prick, isn't he? I think Going I think off the the history of the all blacks. I think Aaron Smith's favourites were Chris Brown and Drake, which adds up. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Make what you will of that. Yeah, he's going to be grooming Millie Bobby Brown in a but hey, airport bathroom. He's a yeah, he's a changed man now. He's into Seinfeld instead of Chris Brown, <laughs> and he's he seems like such a bizarrely lovely man, Aaron Smith. Yeah, I don't mean yeah. to rag on him. He's had a transformation, um, just, I believe. Yeah, very silly. Yeah. Uh, for some reason, they asked David Niniashvili about his top three wingers, top three Georgian wingers, and okay. he is one of them. 
Good. Back yourself, brother. Yeah, I'm into that. Really into that. Doesn't seem to be any more favourite films of rugby players in this month's rugby world. Might have to go for an older one um, to find out that Marcus Smith really, really loves Rashomon. So, oh, what was I talking about? Bloody watching this game. I've watched this game in, in Birmingham oh, yeah, yeah. New Street. Right? Oh, you did. Because I was trying to watch it on the train to Birmingham New Street and the Wi-Fi wasn't good enough. Mm-hmm. So I watched it in Birmingham New Street, sat yeah. on a little bench. Yeah. And as such, because of that, I don't have any notes on this game. Oh, you don't. So for the first time, I am going into an episode entirely blind and wow. relying on you. Wow. I have no notes written down for this match whatsoever. Well, I barely remember it and I watched it a few hours ago. I've got three pages worth of notes. So I can pick okay. and choose my favourite moments now and you will yep. not remember. That's I also know... I know we've already done the bit on parallel universes. I've also just noticed... That was the thing you were trying to tell me at the very start of when we first started recording. And we are now 17 minutes in, and you've finally gone to say it. <laughs> yeah, so I've got absolutely no memory of what's going on in this game. And I've got, like, vague, like, trace flash memories of what happened. Yeah, uh, yeah. This is the most flying by the seat in my pants I've been. Even more so than the episode where I hadn't watched the game. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty exceptional stuff. Did you enjoy it, at least? Sure, yeah. yeah. I mean, no, but sure. <laughs> I also, I, mean, I did wonder, like, when a lady came and sat next to me and she could see I was watching some really shit rugby on an <laughs> iPad, <laughs> in, like, 320p, what was her take? What was she thinking? Yeah, I wonder if she was analysing it much as well. I actually once had it... So, during the 2011 World Cup series, mm. we watched the third place playoff, Wales-Australia, and we recorded yes. that with Josh Gardner. So, I was watching that on a train, mm. and there was sort of the cleaning lady walked past and just stared at my laptop, like, very, like, obviously, clearly wanting me to yeah. notice that she was looking at it. And I kind of turned around, I was like, oh, yeah. And she's like, what are you watching? And she's like, oh, it's just rugby. And then she's like, oh, that's cool. I'm into rugby. And I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. You know, we're both into rugby. And then I was like, shit. Shit, I've come in too deep here. I have to now worm my way out of the fact that I'm watching rugby from 2011. And better yet, is the third place playoff. playoff. And then I just kind of, I think I just kind of said that, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, just watching back an old rugby match for something. Because uh, I couldn't think of something. I just had to say, say yeah. for some, be as vague as possible. And I said, like, oh, yeah, what are you watching? I was like, Wales against Australia. Thankfully, did not ask what year. Yeah, it didn't go. So I got away with it. But I reckon she must have noticed it was an old Do you game. think she just had a moment she went like, Curly Beale? <laughs> <laughs> she didn't, didn't want to trigger it. She knew what was coming. Sure, sure. Yeah, that was one of the more awkward public exchanges this podcast has forced me to have Mm. and probably one of the only public exchanges it's forced me to have but yeah that's my episode of public exchanges forced you to have yeah i guess so i guess so but yes so you don't have notes i do have notes Mm. but do you have for instance i don't know the teams yes so So we can look into them make a kind of they chop and change a bit it's kind of a half strength team because they're playing this game on a tuesday and France were due to play in the quarterfinal against Fiji on the Sunday. Mm-hmm. They'd already qualified. Fiji had already qualified. I think France just needs to like not lose by 80 points or something. And sure. Were in. 
yeah. to play Fiji on the Sunday. And they knew how tired Zimbabwe would be going into this game. I think it's probably yeah, they not unfair. Yeah, exactly. That They struggled to get past Romania, who obviously we know that was a good Romania side, but that was mm. at the start when they were all fresh and so on. Now Zimbabwe coming off a tough tournament, uh, having been battered by Scotland, I think they knew that you know they could, they could probably coast through this game. And as you say, France put 50 on Romania, who yeah. were, you know, lost by, who beat Zimbabwe by a point. Yeah. So it was a very tight pool on the whole. But sure. there was a big difference between France and Scotland and Zimbabwe yeah. and Romania. Yeah. So most notable person to be subbed out is Serge Blanco. Doesn't play at all. Mm-hmm. And they leave on the bench Guy Laporte, Philippe Seller and Pierre Bebezier. Two of whom do get on the field, which we will come on to later on. So they have some experience left on the bench. But that's probably their four most experienced backs, certainly. If not players that they've rotated out of their team. Yes, so in at fullback comes Dida Baby Bell. So yeah, Baby Bell at fullback. Yeah. Who interesting well no, he doesn't seem to me like an interesting guy so much as he's got an interesting kinda when you look back at the history of rugby in general, as well as the World Cup, and especially French rugby, he comes up surprisingly often for a player who wasn't that notable. So um, I recognise his France. name, but didn't know where mm. from. For what he won thirty six caps of France from nineteen eighty two to the mm-hmm. nineteen ninety one World Cup, where he finished his career. Mm-hmm. He then in this game that we mention breaks Gavin Hastings' record from one week earlier. No, it was from two hours earlier. <laughs> no, you're right. Yeah, breaks Gavin Hastings' two hour record for most points scored in the Test match by anyone. Yeah, uh, this stood as a world record until Simon Colhane in the '95 World Cup against Japan. Okay, wow, and it that, still that, that stands a long time. as a French national record. Okay, because he scores thirty points in this game. No mm-hmm. one's ever scored more points for France. And so he then, right, and this is the really interesting thing: in this game, broke the world record for most number of successful conversions in nine. Right. Okay. Well, no, sorry, he, I don't mean he broke; he tied the world record. Right. But this is where it gets really interesting, right? Mm-hmm. Do you want to know who he tied the record with? Yes, I do. Guy Cambabero, his father. No! That's so, mental. Because his dad yeah. would have been boasting about that for years. And also what I love is he misses the last two conversions of the game. Yeah. So he could have beaten it. And he would have lost so much sleep over it that night that he didn't beat the record. So he... Imagine that. Imagine having those two kicks to beat your dad holds the world record, right, for what, I think like 40 years he held the world record? And that's an insane world record to hold. Yeah. I mean, so, yeah, his dad broke the, that world record, hold that world record for from 1966. Right. So 21 years. Blimey. 21 years he had that world record. And then the only person that ties it and no one's kicked. More plays, kick, plays a kick more conversion to every team since, but no one's kicked yeah. as many for France in one game. And the person that ties it is your son, who then misses his last two kicks. And that's really funny. I had no idea that his dad had played for France or anything, let alone this. Because yeah. like it kind of comes out of nowhere that he creeps up and eventually beats that record, doesn't it? Like, yeah. Because, I mean, to kind of get into it, like in the first half he isn't too prominent, and in the second so... he really streaks away. His 
dad and his nephew and his uncle rather, mm-hmm. Guy and Lillian Camembert, right, are, were kind of the 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 Garbizis of their time, as they okay. were the French halfback partnership uh, in the sixties. His dad and his nephew, his dad and his uncle. Okay, yeah. I slipped up there. And did correct myself. <laughs> I did correct myself. Okay, sorry. <laughs> But it would have been a wild thing to witness. His dad um, was a late bloomer. Yeah. Or he's a really talented baby. Yeah. Really talented the, fetus. Maybe. The Isaac Boss baby. The scrum off. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Boss baby oh, film. Pretty good. Yeah, it yeah. was. Yeah, it was. So, yeah, his his dad and his dad's brother, his uncle, yes. played as halfback to <laughs> France. His dad was the fly half. His okay. uncle was the scrum half. Okay, and then he went on to be yeah a fullback, goal kicking fullback, mm-hmm. uh, who also played fly half. He also won caps at ten for France. He then also broke the world record two, three years after this in 1990 for most successful drop goals in a single match. Oh wow, three, right? Which is a record that would be broken nine years later by Yanni De Beer. Of course, of course. But hey, he's done very well to contain. Two out of the four ways of scoring in rugby's records, at least for France. Yeah. So those are the moments that are interesting in rugby history. Just, do you want an interesting anecdote about this guy? Just because he won't come up again? I you know what? Like but they'll be a long way away. I want this more than I wanted the one about the rugby. So in 1984, right? Okay. France were playing in the FIRA Championship, mm-hmm. right? The Fearers, yeah. Yep. Which was a cup for European, like... Continental European teams okay. before Italy joined the Six Nations, it all kind of fell apart. Became right, yeah, Six Nations sure. and so on. Right. However, because Camberbero was a member of the French military, right, he was not allowed into Poland to play against Poland alongside Henry Sands, who was a, a centre for France at the time, because they were considered security risks. Wow. Because the Polish government were worried that they were being sent. With the rugby team, basically on an assassination mission? No! Like, as an inside job? Yeah. Like, they were worried. They were just like, oh, you know, we've got a member of the (laughs) rugby team who is a soldier. We're going to send them on a secret mission now they can get into Poland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, look, Didier, you're there in the backfield. No one's looking at you. Everyone's looking at the defensive line. Look, somebody else will drop there with you. So if they kick it, they'll cover it, right? Just sneak off down the tunnel, why don't you? Just sneak off. No one will see you get off the field. And then get out of the stadium and... W- wait, who was he trying to kill? Just, like, the... Just Poland. The premier of Poland, yeah. And kill that fucking premier of Poland! Yeah. I mean, it's... I honestly think it'd be quite... Um, we should add that into the spy story about Christian Radicani. It's true. It's true. Maybe those two and... Cold War thriller element. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe those two and Nori thingamajig were all friends i hope they were all friends i hope they were friends i hope they were really close look it's one of the great rugby values is invading poland is it not <laughs> i completely agree friendship unity tying your sportsmanship yeah having a beer together sportsmanship invading poland yeah that's that's a lot of them man that's a load of boxes ticked and the rfu you know, would love you Rugby's just different. It's so different, Other man. sports, you don't go and invade Poland. No, you don't. Like, look, I have played a tiny bit of five-a-side football before, right? Mm. 
sure. never invaded Poland. No, no. During that time, you never invaded. When you're doing like cricket in PE, you never invade Poland, do you? Never. I've actually complained to the teachers about that before. Uh, it didn't end well. Yeah, I mean, I teacher had the was same Polish. Doing rounders, like I was doing rounders, and I went off to invade Poland. They're like, "This isn't real, <laughs> okay. <anymore>, boys." <laughs> you can't use your. That was last half term. You can't invade Poland. <laughs> Yeah, it's annoying when that happens, isn't it? When yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> anything else in the French team? Uh, Eric Bonneval comes in for all of about half an hour. Yeah, having previously injured his left knee, one of France's marquee players, I think it's safe to say, really famous French three-quarter back, brilliant player. Unfortunately, we just didn't get to see much of him. And of course, goes on to have a son, Hugo Bonneval. Yeah, and Arthur Bonneval well. as well. Both. And Arthur Bonneval, who's still playing. Yeah. Hugo Bonneval, of course, best remembered by me for the time Thomas Castagnier once said, if you want someone to show you the uh, fifth, the sixth, the top gears in your car, then you should go to him and ask him. Because <laughs> what he meant was, you know, he's a player who plays in like top gear and he's really he's fast. fast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But what he implied is he, he's a but qualified he mechanic. Is he's an excellent mechanic. Yeah. <laughs> and that's always how I thought of him after that moment. <laughs> What if Maxime Machinot could change your oils? Yeah, yeah. Hugo Bonneval has a degree in engineering. Who knew? <laughs> Rodolphe Modin, who, of course, we had the confusion about whether it was his first or second cap. Yeah. He plays. Yeah. Of course, he was a PE teacher. So on a similar note, probably all the time telling students <laughs> off for going invading Poland. Yeah, yeah. Frank Mesnel finally got his wish. After playing like a prick in the previous game on the wing, he gets moved to 10. <laughs> yeah. And Patrice Estev comes in on the way, mm. but I like to call him Patrice Estev. <laughs> that is a phenomenal reference. Hey, Steve. If anybody gets Un- that. Unlucky Gen Z. <laughs> he was nicknamed TGV, and I've got no idea why. <laughs> That's so good. What, he was named what? TGV. <laughs> is they call him. I don't. I don't know why. There's no explanation no. on his Wikipedia page. Maybe it stands Tug- for the great van values. Oh no, values, values. I Such think it's the great van. Poland. Uh, um, anyway, there's a van peeping outside my window. If you can hear that, there's probably yeah. a van peeping outside the window of the hotel, and it's probably that one. <laughs> Should we look yeah. at Zimbabwe? So yeah, let's look at Zimbabwe. And I mean, they're just shit, aren't they? <laughs> so it's the same team that's been playing. Like, yeah, it's pretty much before, the same team. Except they bring back Richard Simba, who is visibly still injured. <laughs> he is clearly not fit to play. <laughs> he spends the whole game holding he, his shoulder. There's one point where he goes in to make a tackle where he just tries to charge someone with the shoulder that's still working <laughs> because he's got his hand on the other shoulder. He has to, like, tuck his head in so he can get his shoulder ready. Like, and, like, he goes to shoulder charge someone because he's injured the other shoulder. Yeah. He can't tackle. And, like, when the team's flashed up, I saw, oh, Simba's back. He's made it. Yeah. That's great. I'm so excited to see him play again. And he was just half of Simba was playing. It was, oh, man. Yeah, he Simba minus shoulder. The Black Diamond, as he's known. Mm, brilliant um, player, Simba. And yeah, you know what? Did well with the... one shoulder, but and 
Look, can we move on to a general... Oh, the other important thing about this Zimbabwe team is Neville Kloppers finally gets off the bed. <laughs> I dedicated... We finally like, get to see Neville Kloppers. I dedicated such a big portion of my page to it's Neville Kloppers time. It's Neville Kloppers <laughs> time. He does nothing. This, this is his one cap. It's his it's only cap Zimbabwe. He finally gets off the bench for his only cap. <laughs> Neville Kloppers. I didn't see him do anything in this game. No. I did hear the commentator say, oh yeah, Neville Kloppers is on the pitch though. And I got to hear his name said by Grant Nisbet. I think at one point he takes an offload, then drops it in contact. (laughs) Hey, he was playing in the World Cup. It was Neville Kloppers. Yeah. Yeah. I did go on Kloppers Watch, (laughs) which starts on BBC Two on Sunday. (laughs) Oh, Neville Kloppers though. Like... He, sure, he only wins one cap, and he doesn't do much. But he's already knocking on the door for our team at the tournament. Oh, yeah, absolutely. When we come to do the tournament draft, Neville Kloppers yeah. is going to be in high demand. He absolutely is. So, look, I don't want to delay us getting to the kickoff too much, but there's there's some fun things happen beforehand. So we get to witness the mm. coin toss is one thing. And oh. then after that, we get to witness the commentators debating what happened in the coin toss. But nothing interesting really happens there. We see the teams, and then France uh, and Zimbabwe both run out mm. onto the pitch. Did you get to witness uh, France running out onto the pitch? Yeah, I did. But I also didn't have sound at this point, because I hadn't worked out it was only coming through one earphone rather than not working. <laughs> I see. Um, but so, I, did, I did eventually get there. Yeah. So you might have noticed that, mm. and again, on the video, this is, pro- this is about three minutes and 15 seconds in. As France are running out... There is somebody on in kind of the side of the tunnel who is constantly slapping France on mm. the back with a kind of plushy toy. Did you notice this? I sort of noticed. I didn't notice the plushy toy. I noticed someone S- slapping them. Somebody is slapping them with, with a, a plushy toy. And look, if if you if you maybe check it now, you you will notice this. But do you want to know what said plushy toy was? Please. So they were being slapped on the back repeatedly. Every France player that ran past with. A certain Monsieur Le Drop, aka Mr. Drop, as he was known I'm in sorry, the UK. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I was watching Monsieur Le Drop slop a condom in Birmingham New Street. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and more to hitting condoms later. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I don't want to hold you back from your plans after the podcast. <laughs> Shut the fuck up, man. <laughs> I just meant Pete Colbuck punches him in the face. <laughs> anyway, Monsieur Le Drop, mm. a little plushie of him, is being used to attack these French players from Sorry, the sideline. You say that like I know who Monsieur Le Drop is. <laughs> so I'm about to explain to you who <laughs> Monsieur. Just, just assuming we all know about Monsieur Le Drop. Yeah, okay, we all grew up watching the Monsieur Le Drop cartoons in the Sunday morning. Anyway, we get to the kickoff. No, um, so Monsieur Le Drop. AKA, he was known as Mr. Drop in the UK, is the official mascot of the 1987 Rugby World Cup. No! Yeah? So, (laughs) I have sent to me here by the lovely friend of the podcast, Mr. Jamie Wall. He sent me the... um... Oh my god! (laughs) Yeah, that's Mr. (laughs) Le Drop! Why haven't we covered Mr. Le Drop in... So, I wanted to wait for the right moment to do it. So uh, Jamie Wall has sent me from Keith Quinn's book about the 1987 Rugby World Cup 
the synopsis, the introduction to the character of Monsieur Le Drop. Are you ready for this, Robbie? I need your full I'm attention. I'm very ready. So, Monsieur Le Drop was the official mascot of the 1987 Rugby World Cup. He was a fun symbol in the game for only a short time. His origins are vague, possibly only an <laughs> animal woman's fair, fertile mind. I'm sorry, like the Joker, his origins are vague. <laughs> Look, they never gave a Monsieur Le Drop origin story. I want... Yeah, I want I want a really gritty reboot of Monsieur Le Drop with I mean, Joaquin Phoenix. Look, this podcast can write it into the canon eventually. While he was popular in New Zealand and Australia, Monsieur Le Drop disappeared before the 1991 event in the UK and France. Which is a real shame, oh, considering he has two names, one for France and one for the UK. Uh, none for New Zealand and Australia. Yeah, I think they should. So it was known that rugby so- official before the first World Cup disliked his image intensely... Before Wait, the, who who did? Sorry? Rugby officialdom. Rugby, just like rugby generally. generally. Rugby just, just generally love, thought he was ugly. They off pigeons, but yeah. they hate Monsieur Le Drop. Yeah, they Here's dislike the thing, his image. Though, they're not wrong, right? <laughs> Can we try and describe Monsieur Le Drop? So... Because it's like... It's like if Humpty Dumpty... Was an American football... Was, yeah, well, I mean, he's—I mean, that's the one thing, right? I—it's it's a real pet peeve of mine is when people say, "Oh, it's a rugby ball," and they show an American football. It's very clearly an American football with, uh, with really football. beefy arms and a bizarre mouth. Yeah, yeah, and like very a wide bizarre eyes. Ma- like they've drawn on like a Mister Men style smile, mm-hmm. and then they've also put a second mouth underneath, so he's kind of got two mouths <laughs> next to each other on top of each other. And he is wearing rugby boots with six studs in them. Mm. So that's Monsieur Le Drop. So to carry on so, with before the England Scotland game at, at Twickenham in February 1987, he in inverted commas <laughs> was not permitted to run onto the hallowed playing turf. I wonder why. Was it because he's fictional? <laughs> so a plushie of Monsieur Le Drop. Went on eBay a few years ago for £79. Oh, man. If only we could have beaten him to it. But there's also a an article on The Telegraph on the history of Mush- the story of Musha Le Drop written by James Stafford. Right, I'm going to think... come on to that. I'm going to come on to that. Okay. So, the, the next part on this is... Yeah, okay, so sorry. He was I'm not ahead of myself. Yeah, that's okay, that's okay. Uh, look, I love your enthusiasm on this. I'm and obsessed I, with Monsieur Le Drop. I, I love the fact we're never going to get on. How are we game. on to like episode nineteen of this, and we haven't talked about Monsieur Le Drop before this? So he was not permitted. He, sorry, he, if that's his he. real gender, was not permitted to run onto the hallowed playing turf. Thus, a promotional chance for the upcoming tournament had been lost. Oh no! No one knows about the Rugby World Cup because this fucking monster can't get onto the field. <laughs> However, his presence at each of the games in New Zealand and Australia was popular. <laughs> Great. Which okay. is why it's taken us 19 episodes to see him. And it's why about 200 people turning up to each game. Yeah. They, all, they all want to see Monsieur Le Drop. Also, sometimes he seems to have a moustache and sometimes he doesn't. Oh, I've not seen him with a moustache yet. But well, there's like a couple of photos of him where he seems to have a moustache. So, the next part is what you were just oh about Oh my to- god. What? Sorry. You can buy... There are Monsieur Le Drops on eBay right now. Should we get one? It's a plastic Monsieur Le Drop. I'll take it. 
Look, we'll, we'll deal with this after the podcast. We'll, we'll order a, a Monsieur Le Drop. But, so, yes. Sorry, but we, I, think we need, I think we need... We certainly do, yeah. You can get a Monsieur Le Drop key ring? Oh, my God. Man. It's amazing this is all still available. eBay is a source of wonder, isn't it? Robbie, I need your attention for this next bit. Oh, sorry, 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 sorry. sorry. Writing in 2015, James Stafford, editor of the East Terrace, said that while the first Mm -hmm. Rugby World Cup was the biggest shot in the arm for rugby in over a century, Mr. Drop vanished as quickly as he had materialised. A sinister version of what happened to him is that in a fit of rage for the forces of professionalism that he had unleashed, key figures from the British Home Unions had him assassinated and dumped his body in a place rarely visited. Behind the Scottish Rugby Trophy cabinet in Murrayfield is a popular rumour. Nice. And then it ends nice. with R.I.P. Monsieur Le Drop. So it is in the canon that Monsieur Le Drop is dead. But <laughs> so I actually a month or two ago so, had a conversation with James Stafford about this. Oh, right. OK. Yeah. Because I'm going to suggest, right. Do we what if what if the Polish officials had it wrong and Didier Cambero was actually going to Poland to assassinate Monsieur Le Drop? We need to launch a full investigation into what happened to Monsieur Le Drop. How, did we, how have we not covered Monsieur Le Drop by now? As I say, man, I want us to wait for the right moment. So, I messaged okay. James Stafford. As I said, James Stafford, really lovely bloke, right? So, he's been in touch yeah, with yeah. both of us before. He was very kind to send us a couple of his books as the illustrated rugby uh, Welsh rugby history one which was really great and yeah mm. his stuff's really good yeah. and, you know you should check it out well worth so. looking up yeah, yeah. and say lovely bloke and so I, t- I said to him that a friend of the podcast pointed me in the direction of your words on Mr. Drop the mascot from 1987 World Cup and he said that's amazing I'd forgotten about that the detail about the RFU refusing to allow him to appear at Twickenham needs to go in my English book is what he said so he was the RFU wouldn't have him come on the field at Twickenham. It was the RFU's fault. It's not very rugby Did values, he is it? Rugby values, right? Did Monsieur drop the drop oppose rugby values? He must have done. Did he not want to invade Poland? Yeah, and he said, right. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't remember him saying this to me, but I've just clocked this. I also just realised I own one of the keyrings of him that seemed to be listed at seventy nine quid. Oh, it's come full circle. And he said, oh. let me know if you need any more information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On Monsieur yeah, Le Drop. Yeah. I, I'm very delighted we've got a Monsieur Le Drop correspondent. We have an expert we that we can call upon. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think we need to dig into this before the end of the series. I am now obsessed with Monsieur Le Drop. We need and also, to, it kind of... at some point, do a bonus episode about Monsieur Le Drop, I think. I... So... It kind of explains why they've never really tried Rugby World Cup mascots since. Yeah. Right? They they didn't try... The next tried them in 2019 when Japan yeah. had the two mascots who yes. are now just the Japanese Rugby Union official mascots. Terrifying. Um, terrifying, terrifying, horrifying creatures. That would probably, beat Monsieur Le Drop in a fight, unfortunately. They probably killed Monsieur Le Drop. Yeah. Wait. Wait yeah. a minute. What if those two Japanese mascots are DDA Karen Barabero and Christian Raducanu? In disguise. I think they're very Japanese gods. I just think they're okay. members of the Yakuza. Look, I just wanted to throw it so, out there, because what if I was right? So, I also love the one the, the one comment on the Mr. Drop thread on Reddit, right, is, I remember that thing, 80s was a great time to be a kid, where someone <laughs> had deleted the account. Entirely fair, probably, I don't know, it wasn't a lot. Um, 
So, yeah, but the, I think, you know, the Olympics obviously big on mascots. Football World Cups and a lot of mascots. Mm-hmm. Rugby's always been quite light on mascots, right? Like a sure. lot of teams have mascots. But not to the but scale of Mr. Drop. The only mascot that's ever really caught anyone's imagination is Haguardo, the Haguara's mascot. Uh, he's the only mascot that's really, like, taken off, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To a lesser degree, I think Ozzy the Osprey has actually broken through a bit more than a lot of others. L- Leo the Lion um, at Leinster, but he's a little bit... Leo the Lion at Leinster is a, is sketchy. a pervert. Yeah. He is... I've mentioned this before on the podcast, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. When I went to watch Leinster play a few seasons ago at the RDS, he would just go and sit on young girls' laps and like yeah, very touch strange. them in ways that made me really uncomfortable. Made them very uncomfortable. Strange. I spoke to a couple of yeah. the Leinster fans while I was out there made them all very uncomfortable. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm, no. Mr. Drop would never. No. But like I can't think of any Premiership clubs mascots off the top of my head. You know, like Leicester Tigers have a tiger or Sari the camel. I guess it's not quite the same. Not quite the I same. And... I really remember being a kid and us going to see the EDF Energy Cup semi-finals, which yeah. were back to back. Yeah, at and the Rico then... Arena in Coventry, where I went for the yeah, first time the since one... then on Saturday, which was quite nice. Oh. Yeah, hmm. carry on. And I also went the previous year to see it in Cardiff. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. When the Osprey beat Saracens 30 points to three. Amazing. Which is a fun scoreline yes. for a Welsh team to beat an English team by. Definitely. And I remember them bringing out a mascot for those games called Eddie, like Eddie Energy. <laughs> and he looked really timid. And he was the mascot of the EDF Energy Cup. And oh, he was a kind so of like cringy. weird purple blob. And I remember the tallow going like, this is Eddie. He loves to show mm. energy and show lots of energy all around. And he looked really sad. And I've always remembered him because I felt really sorry for Eddie. Because he looked like a really shy, timid child. But he apparently loved energy and loved to dance. He and was just low on just it. Didn't, he didn't give that demeanour at all. <laughs> he looked like a poor, depressed child and I related to him. <laughs> I do think that there is a gap in the market for mascots to really tap into that energy or yeah. lack thereof. And like the Japanese ones were huge in Japan. They, people mm. loved them. Oh, they yeah, really yeah. Worked. yeah. And they haven't done any for France. Like the French World Cup doesn't have mascots. It's got bloody Antoine Dupont. Say, all I'm saying, the World Cup's in France next year. Why yeah. not have maybe a descendant of a, a, a mascot with Monsieur in his title? Obviously, it can't be the man himself because he is now dead. But Le Chien de Drop. Something like that. Yeah. But Le Garçon de Drop. It obviously it, it, the dog? Yeah. Le fil de drop? It, I'm gonna be great it, speaking. It leaves leaves a sour taste in my mind because after reading the thing about the RFU refusing on, on the pitch and so on, I can't help but think he was murdered. Monsieur Le Drop. Yeah, I, think so. I think he was murdered. Monsieur Le Drop was fucking murdered! I'm very sad about it. Murder, murder, murder. <laughs> the other thing, right? Yeah. Somewhere. The one the one mascot that we didn't touch on, of course, is Ruckley. Do we have to? We don't have to. But I imagine Ruckley would have bullied Mushroom the Drop in school. Ruckley's a prick. Yeah, of course he would. Ruckley's of course a prick. Have. Ruckley's like... That insecure kid who's quite big, so everyone thinks he's hard, but like... Ruckley is James Haskell. Yeah. Big lad, never hits rucks. Yeah. I mean, I... I James I Haskell did before, hit rucks. But like, but... Yeah, I've said this before, but like, Ruckley is just Zach Mercer with a collar on. <laughs> yeah, he's spot on. Yeah. Look, now's not the time to talk about Ruckley, my man. Because no. a mascot we'd now just grown attachment attached to... To talk murdered. about... 
rugby. Yeah, we've probably we've set the record now. Probably taking it from last week uh, or the week before of the longest it's taken us to get onto the game. Here's the thing: I'm quite happy with that. <laughs> yeah, me too. And here's the thing, right? France scored seventy points, but none of them feel very memorable. Sure. Yeah. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, thirty six percent better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Get a one dollar per month trial period at Shopify.com/work. Shopify.com/work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from thirty dollars a month to just fifteen dollars a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/slash-switch. Forty-five dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited, more than forty gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So uh, last last point I have before kickoff is mm. that Alain Laurier, the second row for France, is twerking during La Marseillaise. Wow, that's a choice. Yeah, yeah. Probably. I just about- thought they all looked very disinterested in general. Yeah, probably about 25 years before twerking becomes a thing. So again, doing things ahead of time, he should make films. So the very first thing I notice in the game itself is quite early on, Marinus Globler, the fly-off for Zimbabwe, lines up a shot at goal. And I laughed because, not because of anything to do with the, the kick itself or anything, right? But I paused the game there and I counted the amount of people I could see sitting down in the background in the stadium in Eden Park. I counted 13 people. What? So in that, that one like shot. In one... Okay, is that like... In one frame, yeah. How much of the stand can you see there? Most it of it. very empty, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they do come onto this at half-time, and we might as well spoil it now, that at half-time, we see a lot of people walking alongside the touchline. And they've just gotten like onto the pitch. Like mm. They're not walking around the perimeter. They're just walking across the sideline of the pitch. And Grant Nisbet says it's one of the great traditions at Eden Park when Auckland play, is that all the supporters swap what end of the ground they're sitting at so they can see Auckland score more tries. But they're doing it for France this time instead. So evidently... They were all off camera oh, okay. in the first half, and then suddenly oh. it fills up in, in the second half. Oh, that's really interesting. Okay. That's yeah. a bizarre thing to do, but it actually makes sense in rugby, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the official attendance is listed as 4,000, but it looks like about 58. Yeah, because they've all gone and stood by the goal. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Something. Someone DM'd me, and I forget, I, can, I should find the name, but I... Mm-hmm. Saying so, we mentioned before Japan were offered a one case of beer for a try. Yes, for uh, a goal they were mentioned. Yeah, apparently in the seventies and early eighties, it was kind of dying out by the time of this World Cup. There was a, a phrase in rugby people refer to a converted try as a goal. Doubt it. Um, the full amount of points you can possibly score in one goal. Doubt it. Doubt it. Uh, I reckon they just wanted them to kick penalties. Um, that was it. No, um, I mean, I agree. But also, what a bizarre thing to do. Yeah, it's a stupid thing to do, isn't it? 
I guess, as you know, it ties back to the original, the con- when the conversion was all the points you got. Yeah, it does. So it does. It is what you'd, you know. So, so, oh, yeah, that does make sense, actually, because the try was the attempt at the conversion, yeah. wasn't it? And then the goal. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. But also, shut up. Also, um, I get out. But also, thank you for writing in and and telling us about that. And I really appreciate you listening. So I'm sorry to dismiss you. I actually really appreciate that. I just it, I just want to suit my narrative that um uh, that Stein Lager were being idiots. Anyway, so France get pulled up on a completely bullshit call by Derek Bevan, the referee, really early on when he penalises Estevé for being offside when he is clear like two or three meters behind the kicker. Uh, and it pissed me off for about three minutes, despite the fact France score immediately like off the back of it. And it really annoyed me. It's just one of those things that happens in amateur rugby where clearly people see like, oh yeah, he's too fast. That means he must be offside. Yeah. Yeah. Annoying. I wasn't really paying attention. I mean, I remember that happening. I just yeah. wasn't paying attention to it. I wasn't angry about it. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah that's fair enough. But like straight away, Modan scores. So Here's the thing, right? I don't hate that as a way of getting through life. Just not paying attention to not being angry about anything. Yeah, and, you know, I I don't really feel that way, and I am angry about a lot of world developments, but also it helps, doesn't it? Um, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, um, but yeah. No, it was just like it was just shit. Is my have point? Have you ever seen a more standout comparison in a foot race than Patrice uh, Steve to Eric <laughs> Barrett? <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, Eric Barrett is basically the world's slowest winger um eric barrett is terrible <laughs> but hey he was on the selection panel so hey, yeah we've mentioned him in every episode of zimbabwe eric barrett was one of the zimbabwe selectors who then <laughs> picked himself and he looks about 50 like a geography teacher and he plays like it too yeah and all he does is trundle very slowly for two yards see a tackler coming towards him then punt it randomly <laughs> he's terrible <laughs> and it started to like it started to really set in in this game and started to make me really angry looking at the Zimbabwe team because I've kind of just gone like oh fun underdogs whatever but they are throughout this entire match so stupid <laughs> they are one of the stupidest rugby teams I've ever seen in my life yeah right? so I think Richard Sumba is fantastic he's a he's brilliant, brilliant. Player, right brilliant Andy Ferreira, the tennis instructor at fullback, I think is actually he's got something about him, but he's dumb. Like, he's shit. Like, he, he is absolutely shit. So basically every time he gets the ball, he just decides he's going to kick it compl- in, like entirely parallel with his waist towards the touchline, right? So he effectively grubbers it just so the ball gets to touch and yeah. doesn't bother about making any distance, about beating anybody, about like actually trying to advance for his team at all. He is absolutely shit, mate. I don't have any idea why you're saying he's good. He can't even spin off his other hand. I'm not saying he's good. I'm saying Andy Ferreira has a level of... I can see why if you're a coach, you go, there's something I can work with here, right? Which is... And same with Grobler, right? But both of them do not think about what they're doing at all. No. There's a point. Their decision making is so poor. Or like Ferreira, I think, is very like informed by a fear of contact. And Grobler just is just punts it because he likes doing it. Yeah, he doesn't know what else to do. Like, no. There's a point um, where Ferreira kicks the ball straight out on the full and Grant Nisbet says that's a good that's a reply. Good yeah. yeah. What is what are you doing? And a point where um, it's just like Ferreira, why do you keep doing this? Because that's all he does. So when you look at the Zimbabwe team, right? Richard Sumba is a really good player. 
Okay, yeah. he's great. We Mark Wilder, number eight. I think he's, he's actually good. a very good player as well. Yeah, and like a standout number eight in this tournament as well. I think. Like, yeah, he's, he's a, been really good. Carries really well. Pace, carries really hard. Carries strong. And knows like, how to use his size as well. Yeah, which is advantage. Like he pops up to carry when they need someone to carry. He quite does a actually lot. work quite hard, doesn't uh, he? Which doesn't really happen in this World Cup. Like, yeah, if a forward gets the ball, they take contact, right? But you don't have the thing happening that happens a lot now, where like. The 10 is about to be smashed. They drop it off to number eight or something. Yeah, yeah. And Mark Neal's very good at putting himself in positions where he'll take a disposable carry mm, and he'll make some sure. ground off it. I think him and Simba are a massive cut above the others. 100% agree. The rest of them, really bad. And it's got more... It started to get to me in this game <laughs> because it's not... As I said, it's not just that they're not good at rugby and they're amateurs and everything, right? But they're so stupid in everything they're doing that it started to really frustrate me. And when you start to look at the history of Zimbabwe rugby, right, and Richard Sumba was the first black player to ever play for Zimbabwe, a nation that is majority black, right? Yes. And they had this very built-up history of looking down on other races within mm-hmm. the rugby team, being a team of the elite in Zimbabwe, yes. you know, the, the rich white people. Yeah, um, yeah. And the best player by such a margin, by such a margin, is the only player from outside their kind of very select club that mm. they looked at, you know? They have a very, like, set boundaries of, well, we'll, you know, we'll pick from our, our sure. four, like... Yeah. You know, like, summer clubs and the teams that play there. And hence why we're picking a tennis instructor, the tennis pro <laughs> from one of those summer clubs. Alleged and tennis it, pro. Yeah. It feels so much like... It feels like the worst of rugby union coming through in this team, right? And yeah. Only brought home by the fact that their best player by such a margin is the the kind of you know the the guy that shatters the glass ceiling. Yeah, yeah. Rugby in general, because you didn't. Yeah, have yeah. Because like, string box at this time, and that's it. He was um, the first in the history, wasn't he? Yeah. Uh, as you say, like. Um, and like the, he's he's pre Chester Williams. He's you know he's like a genuine landmark player. Yeah. And that's, you know, he's in the, of course, he's in the IOB Hall of Fame, or the Wood Rugby Hall of Fame, uh, for that as well as just genuinely being a world-class rugby player in a Zimbabwe team. Um, Yeah. And it just, it started to get to me when I was looking at this club of people who seem massively up their own arse, especially Eric Barrett, who picked the bloody team. Yeah. Picked himself in it because he's that self-important. When they're so just caught up in themselves, they haven't looked at who the best player, you know, a lot of the most talented athletes, I'm sure they were producing at this time. Yeah. Craig Brown played well in that first game. Doesn't play again in the World Cup. Yeah. Fly off. And instead, it just feels very, like, incestuous. And yet they're so stupid. (laughs) They don't understand the game at all. And all they do is they, you know, people talk about aimless kicking nowadays, but look at the bloody 1987 Zimbabwe team. Ludicrous, isn't it? There's All a point. All they do is kick it aimlessly to the French backs, who then just run it back and score. So two points, right? There's one point where Ferreira passes to nobody twice. Like yeah. he passes the ball and it hits the floor. Then he picks it up and he passes it to the floor again. And that time it's picked up by a French I'm, player. I'm sure I've just been very, very harsh on the Zimbabwe team. And I apologize for that. Like I've really laid into it, but I was very tired in Birmingham. So can you blame me? <laughs> No, so the yeah, other thing is really you're talking about you're talking about the attitudes right. towards kicking. Mm. So I was really struck by the commentators' attitudes towards kicking because they kept saying that Mesnel was kicking really poorly in this game when actually he was thumping the ball miles downfield in the first half. And 
what they, what they kept saying is that because he wasn't finding touch, he was kicking poorly. Just failing to account for the fact that Zimbabwe were picking the ball up and kicking it out two metres further than where they caught it. And that France then have the ball 50 metres upfield from where they had it previously. And that's why it's good kicking. It's like, no, they don't need to get it into touch. Like, yeah. And it makes me wonder, like, is that why people hate kicking? Because they just don't understand it. I think that's always been a part of it. Yeah. People don't understand it. People look at it in the same way they looked at this here. Yeah. And it's the same thing about, like we were talking about with Adam last week, that mm. because defence wasn't a part of the game then, Yes. People don't, people don't view it as an exciting part of the game, which it is these days. It is. It's brilliant. Um, yeah. James kicking is an exciting part of the game, but it's not explained well. And again, my my take, I'll keep going back to and I'll keep mentioning, but probably only, only seen to mention on this podcast, but is that they should be doing, it's not presented properly. We should yeah. be seeing kicking from behind the goal lines. Behind yeah, them. yeah. And that should be an angle you have set every round yeah. where it's possible. Yeah. No, I um, think that's a very valid point. There's definitely something in there. There's like there's a point where Malcolm Jellico does the thing that I got really annoyed at Richard Harding for doing, where they, they have their best attacking chance of the game, yeah. just get into the French 22, first phase of a scrummy chips it to where France have a three-man backfield who mark the ball. Yeah. Once it's covered really easily and they call the mark, I think it's, hey, Steve, who calls the mark. Yes. And the second time he puts it out in full. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, it's that kind of like, hey, there's something really reluctant in the fact that they kick it rather than taking contact or even attempting passes often. Yeah, yeah. Try and do um, something on first phase. Like, yeah. if I was Tim and I was the captain playing scrum off, like, I'd be ashamed of that. Yeah. And there's, I know they, Talk about it at half time. No, in the first half, about how mm. they're clearly playing like a jittery game. They want to disrupt France by having as many set pieces as possible. Yeah, just play United A seven. Of course, you're going to have set pieces, but you know they're trying to like almost keep the score down by keeping the ball in play time right down. Sure, yeah. Also, you're just surrendering them possession because so many mm. kicks were unambitious. Yeah, they were. They were. Again, I just don't think the concept of ambitious kicks were invented yet where they were no. by teams other than France and the All Blacks in this World Cup. Yeah. They're the only teams who uh, who have invented yeah, like ambitious kicking for a purpose. Uh, and I genuinely think the other 10 teams in this World Cup, mm. uh, 14 teams, whatever, I just don't think they realised yet that that was, you know, that you kicked for a reason other than to just clear it or because you wanted to. But yeah, so, with what you were just saying, there's a mm. point where Brain Thorne on CoComs says Zimbabwe have some good four play lads there. So he, he, he goes from forwards to players to lads because he realises both of those first two things would be wrong. And so he says, yeah, they've got some good lads, which I don't doubt. Yeah, I'm sure they've got some. I'm sure, I'm sure some of them are terrific. I'm sure Neville Cloppers. Mr. Cloppers, looking at you, good sir. Thank come on the podcast. Idiot. Where did you come from? <laughs> I was a bit down, Lydia, wasn't it? I was very down, Lydia. Yeah. So the, the first impression, but I appreciate it. <laughs> Should look at the first try, uh, sure. which you don't have written in front of you. I don't remember um, which one it is. Yeah. So Modan scores straight away on maybe his first cap, but yeah, he's, he scores. It's just kind of like France do some some good sort of a good kind of backline move, and then they offload to Modan in the end, who scores it. And the reason why I'm so vague on that try is because he scores the same try again. Uh, about yeah. five minutes later. So um, I thought this was something really impressive about Radif Moldar, is that he is running proper support lines, but he is also about the quickest to whip away the ball we've seen in this World Cup. Mm, that's an and interesting he point. At the, he is behind each tackle when it is made, which is actually quite rare. And it means yeah. he offloads for a couple of his try, two of his three tries. Yeah, um, yeah. And so um, he's there because he's invariably just stood behind whoever's tackled all the yeah. time. Does so... That- 
that they second were, one where he gets the return ball from De Broca is really smart. Yeah. Like he yeah. runs a loop as a scrum half. Like there's at least two points where someone is tackled and before the when the ball is presented, before someone actually works over it, he goes and whips it away. Mm. Right? Which is novel now. That's something coaches are looking for now. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And he was doing it a few times just through sheer speed and anticipation. Yeah. He really impressed me. Yeah, no, no, I think he was he was very, very good. Yeah, and yeah, he scores the first two tries of the game, which is, mm. you know, a hell of an impression to make. Yeah, a good sort of first hit out in the, that first half of the game. So, France sort of have a couple of uh, attacking opportunities. Like, there's uh, Eric Bonneval on his sort of one mm. real touch of the game, makes a really nice break and offload. And you think like, oh, this is going to be very interesting if he doesn't get injured. Then, so... <laughs> They get turned over, right? And Eric Barrett himself goes for a long kick downfield, only to be shoulder-charged by Carminati, the French uh, blindside. And Derek Bevan just moonwalks 30 metres to the mark, and it's really impressive. Like, (laughs) seeing him basically run backwards for, like, so long and just thinking he's never going to stop because he's obviously going to where the kick lands to Hmm. give this shoulder-charge penalty. But yeah, no, I just think it's funny. And then... Oh, Derek's just a glorious man. By the way, speaking of the officials, uh, he had Clive Norling on touch, who mm. was once again, for the second time in this tournament, very clearly hung over. Like, he's, he was, like, really reluctant to run, like, with his touch flag. Like, mm. his reaction times were slow. He was evidently very low on sleep. There was, he was always either, like, breathing really heavily or just trying not to be noticed. He was very clearly hung over once again. Maybe he was just really out of shape. Maybe he was. It's a good point. Amateurism in that. But um, speaking of that, so mm. again, going back to Thorne on the co-coms, he, at one point he says, oh, these Zimbabweans, they don't give up. They're really tough men. It must be because they're all tobacco farmers. Oh, the, of course. <laughs> the, coach, the coach is going to be staying in New Zealand after this to help the, t- the New Zealand tobacco industry. <laughs> wow. Okay. So I'd forgotten that that was the backbone of the Zimbabwe team. Mm. It's tobacco farmers. All, it's all tobacco farmers. As I say, if they feel like a handful of sports clubs, it makes even more sense that it's even more incestuous and they're all business partners <laughs> together. And they'll all come out together and they bring Richard Sumper as their little mate, who's also mm. better than all the rest of them. Yeah. Forgotten. That, okay. I wonder what influence had on the New Zealand tobacco industry. Did it really take off from here and like cure modern marriage in New Zealand? <laughs> I hope so. But I mean, you hear the stories of like how much Jerry Collins smoked, for example, while he was in the All yes. Blacks team. And you wonder if unnamed Zimbabwe coach maybe helped his career Brian along Murphy. the way. Brian Murphy, is that his name? Brian Murphy is his name. Yeah. So don't mind me just Googling Brian Murphy tobacco right now. Ahaha. Now we're talking. Have you just have you just found instantly Brian Murphy's tobacco business? I looked at the LinkedIn page, but it wasn't the right guy. So Brian Murphy, the coach mm. of Zimbabwe at this World Cup. Okay. Right? was a cricket prodigy. Interesting. This is why I leave you to do the research. He was he was huge, huge cricket boy. He played, but then he played rugby for the first time for Rhodesia, as it was at the time, in 1969, which was very nice. Nice. And, yeah, continued playing on rug- rugby, but also balanced it alongside cricket. It was very much a dual thing. Mm-hmm. He went on to play for the World Eleven, and he's very much seen as a kind of dual code person. Okay, um, he was probably better at cricket, but he focused more on rugby because he liked it. Sure, he went on to coach 
Zimbabwe as they were then afterwards. And his son went on to play cricket for Zimbabwe afterwards. And yep, was a professional cricket player in the early noughties. This is what I can find so okay. far. Okay, yes. Hit me. Brian, okay, so Brian Murphy, right, was yep. a high up in a company called Castle Lee, right? Right. Who were a tobacco company in Zimbabwe. Right. Okay. I'm following so far. They went on by 1993 to be the fifth biggest tobacco company in the world. All started by this fella. They were, he was very high up in it. He was high up. He wasn't started it, but he was a high up executive. Interesting. So presumably he did have a big impact on the New Zealand tobacco industry. Yep. And he then coached rugby on the side. That was just his, his day job. They were sold in the 90s for $100 million. Oh, my God. Is a very significant portion of all the money in the world. It is. Oh, we've got an update on all the money in the world. Because, look, we know where it is circa now. Mm-hmm. But we've been piecing together where it was in 1987. All the money in the world belonged to Zimbabwe's very own Brian Murphy. However, right, we've also got an addition to the Christian Radicanu spy movie. No! Because, right, so Brian Murphy was a top executive. He was like, I think he was like fourth in command or that sort of tier. Like he was, you know, very high up in this company. But the top of the company, right, was John Brendan Camp. Okay. Who was also former captain of the Rhodesia rugby team and captain Brian Murphy during well, hello. his caps, right? Hello. This was where they met, and they then started this tobacco business. Brendan Camp was the, the head of the business. He was the, the big boy, the, the mm-hmm. natural leader, the top, top dog, right? Yeah, big um, fella. Yeah. They the poorest man. They imported stuff through Belgium, uh, Antwerp, to be particular. Mm-hmm. Yeah, huge, huge deal in tobacco trading industry and produce a lot of the tobacco for across Africa and Brazil and the Netherlands. Okay, as okay. As, as well as Belgium, uh, they, which were, they were huge in all of those countries. Okay, okay. Um, however, to use Brian Murphy's own words, right, of Brendan Camp, he said in 1996, he's always been an arms dealer. So Brendan Camp himself has denied this, but reportedly he was also a huge arms dealer, right? He would sell what? weapons. Including what? Including so this former. This is a hell of a rabbit hole to a fallen town. Yeah. Made a throwaway joke to something that came up on commentary. But he also, right, reportedly, apparently, is uncovered in the early noughties, <laughs> sold anti-aircraft guns to Iraq for the Iraq War. Holy fuck! And landmines to Iran for the Iran-Iraq Wars in the nineteen eighties. Fuck my head. So, sure, okay. I'm a bit far away, but sure, we can get that range. He sold, yeah, ground attack aircraft um, to the Rhodesian Air Force. And the basically, the so, but as I understand it from reading a couple of articles here, right? And I've been doing this, we have like a minute's pause whilst I, <laughs> I read this, and I've read a lot while we're on air. And look, you've kept it, you kept as a straight I, face. As I understand this, this is real, right? Mm-hmm. John Brendan Camp, former 
Rhodesia ca- rugby captain. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And his teammate, Brian Murphy, started yeah, the business together, right? Yeah. Brian Murphy ran the kind of respectable side of the business, was very high up in the company, <laughs> The respectable which side. Which went on to become the fifth biggest tobacco company mm. in the world. Gained them all the money in the world. Gained them all the money in the world. Yes. Right? <laughs> Meanwhile, his former teammate and now business partner was in the background selling weapons to Iraq. <sighs> There's something else that I think we need to uncover here. Because, mm. look, I think it's important that what this is, is it's a history podcast, is it not? We're talking mm. about past events. And as well, while we're here, we're piecing them together. So you mentioned that you think this could be in some way linked to the Christian Radicanu inside job that's going on, right? Mm. That's a, that's a possibility. I mean, this so, is all. Well, I mean, it's all spy movie stuff, isn't it? Like That's so what I'm saying. John Brendan as of 2009 had 18 businesses blacklisted by the EU. Jesus fucking nice. I mean, Christ. <laughs> 69. Um, hey, at the time of this article I'm reading, he was 68, so you're very oh, close. Oh, close. But, right, yeah. so I want you to cast your mind back to, and this is some proper like, lawyer shit we're doing. I want you to cast your mind back. Do you, do you have something else to say before we do this? No, just how do we keep doing this? How do we keep? Falling down more and more impressive stories in this World Cup. Cast your mind back a few episodes ago when you mm. told me a story about Superboot, mm. where there was the Fijian football match and the physio ran on and chased the referee with, and I quote, a weapon. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! Oh, where no. did he get said weapon from? I wonder, did he give money in exchange for the weapon? Could I tell you something else to just come up? This is a what? coincidence, right? But the quote from the European Commission for Development and Humanitarian Aid, right? Okay. Which referred to him as having taken targeted measures against individuals, of, you know, and like yeah. very much spoke out against him. The guy, the name of the guy quoted is John Clancy, like the former referee. You mean George Clancy? I'm mixing up John Clancy. John Clancy was... John. Wasn't John Clancy a video game? John Clancy's been... No, Tom Clancy's Splinter Cell. Oh, Tom Clancy. Ah, oh, never mind. He's an author. We were both thinking um, of different unrelated people. John... George Clancy and John, who at the same time had like tall... John, of course. Over hair. Irish referee as well. John Murphy? Not John Murphy. John something. Right. I'm sure. Glad I, I'm glad I've started to forget names of old referees. Are you thinking of Alan Lewis? No. Okay. No, no, no. no. Uh, it might have been Johnny. No. He played for Munster, I think, in his day, and then. Don't know, to be honest. But. Jesus Christ, man. Tobacco, weapons, money, all of these controversial items that probably don't fit into the greatest will for good in the world, what, amateurism. What was bloody Steven Spielberg doing wasting his time making Empire of the Sun this year? Honestly, man, he should have just watched back the entirety of the 1987 World Cup instead. He'd have had so many sick ideas. I mean, like, all the rugby's terrible. Yeah, yeah, some oh, yeah, of yeah, the yeah. rabbit holes spiralling off from this thing, man. Like, we haven't even talked about Richard Simba's brother. Richard Simba has a brother? I did some research into Richard Simba's brother earlier, right? You're looking at and... the wrong guy. So... Richard Simber 
he had a brother, right, who also played for Zimbabwe. Mm-hmm. His name was Kennedy Simba, mm-hmm. right? Also won seven caps, I think, for Zimbabwe as a Yeah. Okay. Uh, played a few games for Bath as well, start of the professional era. Played a lot in the Curry Cup and was known as the King of Blumfontein. And yeah, however, he was beyond that, right? Has then had one of those players, right? That sometimes happen where they had a pretty modest rugby career, but they mm. managed to, off the back of it, launch a really good post game career. Interesting. It really dwarfs it, right? So not only is he still a pundit for a lot of the kind of cross African coverage now, that's cool. Like, Cover the 2019 World Cup and it's like season list and so on. That's very um, cool. Not only has he written a book on rugby, not only did he run a TV show, present a TV show called Try Time TV. Nice, I uh, like it. I don't know anything about, but like, sounds good. I'd watch that. Yeah. He also, he also is a music artist. Is he now? And he released an album which you can't find anywhere. Oh my God, wow. I looked for so long to find Tri- Triline ETV, it's called, this TV show. His album, which I spent so long trying to find today when I came across this, this is the thing I spent a lot of my time really We needed something to... for the Zimbabwean leaving party later on. <laughs> I, that's what I really wanted. I wanted this to, to be played over the leaving party. I couldn't find anything. It's called Stories of the N1, his album. I believe it was released in like 2009. No, 2011, 2011, 2011. So it could tie into the previous one. I've got until we reach the leaving party to think of a punchline. <laughs> and I yeah, could, I could play like Lana Del Rey's first album that got released when she, when it flopped, and then you know they made a famous after that, something like that. I mean, he said he always wanted to be a magician, but he also loved rugby. He enjoys playing a number of instruments, including the silver flute, percussions, and acoustic guitar. I'd, I'd um, love to, I'd love to listen to Kennedy Simba's album. Was, at the time of the one interview he did to promote this album, was working on a documentary. And I'm going to read you word for word this, right? It was called The Bock Who Got Away. Is that what the album was called? The documentary? No, no, the documentary. The, the documentary. documentary. The album's called Stories of the N1. Oh, yeah, you said um, that. The documentary is called The Bock That Got Away, which is a compilation of his inspiring rugby story. Okay. Where he calls himself The Bock That Got Away. And he also calls himself Inspiring. Yep, he says basically he should play for the Springboks, but he won a few caps in Zimbabwe instead. I Seems mean, like a hell of a character. He does, he does. Again, I I respect the confidence. And yeah, he also accepted the place in the World Rugby Hall of Fame on behalf of Richard Sumber. Oh, did he? Oh, yeah. I, li- I like Richard, that. Yeah, of I like that. I bet he was uh, pissed he wasn't nominated. Well, yeah. Of course, you know, his brother dies in a yeah. car crash. Yeah, um, yeah. Traffic collision. Yes. Um, years after this. But yes. So, um, oh. do you want to talk about the second half? I mean, very quickly, there's a very violent incident in the first half. <laughs> yeah, of course there is. Where Rodriguez, France's eight, just kills Mark Neal in the air. Like he leaps to take a line out and he flips him onto his neck, which is yeah, it's horrible. quite absurd. Yeah, and then Neil really struggles for the rest of the game until he eventually has to go off, which is a shame because he was Zimbabwe's best player in this game. Grant Nisbet says, oh, he'll walk a bit gingerly for a couple of minutes, but it'll be fine. Yeah. Uh, Grant Nisbet has a really good game. I thought I really enjoyed his company. I, yeah, me too. Me too. Again, like I think so far in this 87 series, I have generally enjoyed I've Grant really Nisbet a lot. Um, yeah. yeah. Credit where it's due. So... There's a point where France are about to score their third try and they offload to Modan who drops it, which is very clear joke oh, yeah. avoidance. <laughs> so France score their third and then their last try the first half. 
which is scored by Dubroka, the the captain, uh, mm. from what can only be described as a move called a dummy flying wedge. Yes. Where they send seven out of eight forwards charging and the Zimbabweans go, shit, should we, should we stop them? Should we, should we all clamp over there to stop them? And the scrum half very cleverly taps it and gives it to the one player they're not looking at. It's really good. I, I enjoyed a tap move that is incredibly simple. Mm, yeah. I also love that because they run this twice in the game. And the, mm. spoiler alert, they, they score the exact, I think it's uh, Rodriguez scores the exact same try doing the same yeah, I thing. Say, yeah. Um, yeah. Where, <laughs> and for both tries, so Mordan, obviously playing scrum off, is the one who taps the ball. And he slaps both of his knees to like signal for the, the pack to start charging, which mm. I really like is like a really Western approach to playing scrum off. <laughs> it is very old school isn't it it's, mm. it's very wild i West. love it yeah, yeah 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 i love it it's brilliant um so yeah half time so the thing is i was about to throw to you but you got no notes so well, no notes mate um no notes i remember you can hear the french talking in french i tried to listen on team talk but i couldn't get mm. any of it no oh, at one point you can hear zimbabwe do their uh lineup call and they just call like one three seven they throw it to one like, yeah oh, okay. i noticed that one it's the it's the first number they say. It's where they're yeah, It's the same approach as the USA. They are just as stupid as I thought they were. Yeah. Oh man, yeah. Even counting, you can't rely on people to do well at uh, this level. So Philip Seller goes off injured, so yes. they completely reshuffle their backline. So they bring on Guy Laporte, move Mesnel to fullback, move Cambarabero to the wing, and Mark Andreu to the centre. Simple. <laughs> so yes, Seller's off. And then basically the first thing that happens is you think like, oh my God, France are going to go to shit. Because like I had written down like multiple times when Seller was on, like, lads, you're allowed to tackle him. Like every time Seller got the ball, he was just tearing through them. Yeah. Sometimes without looking like he was trying. Yeah. Yeah. He he never sprinted when he was on the pitch. First first actually does. First actually really outpaces someone and chips Mm. him. Um, Oh, of course. Yeah. And then after that, he just kind of goes into jogging. Mm. It's like he works out his level after his first touch. He really isn't it. trying, but you're right. He's just completely tearing through every time. But yeah, he goes off and then it's like, oh my God, France is going to go to shit. Because the first thing that happens is Simba gets an intercept uh, yes. and looks like he's going to go all the way. But he's very clearly in lots of pain. Um, yeah. So he only make, he makes it about 50 meters, I think, which is still a good haul. About the 22, yeah. Yeah, from having caught it in the opposition 22, bear in mind as well, because it's the world's most telegraphed pass from Modan, who literally waits for him to stand in the path, like the 910 channel and just throws it to him. But yeah, Simba really looks in such discomfort. That. Me too, yeah, yeah. I was really hoping he would score it because like it was a really good read and he still mm. showed good gas, just like he just was so uncomfortable with his injury. Yeah, I mean, he's really struggling to run. And Camabero does the most bizarre tackle I've ever seen on him. Yeah. And he matches up with him. And he then just kind of like sweeps his legs from under him. <laughs> like, because he's running back, instead of doing like the dive at his legs or anything, he kind of goes in like, as though he's going to tackle him normally. But because they're both going in the same direction, the momentum's going in the same direction. Mm. Kind of swoops him up over his shoulder so that his kind of legs tilt out from under yeah, him. Yeah, and just drags his boot. Yeah. It's really interesting, but also strangely effective. It is, it is, it is. a really good offload is, is happening as well. He does, it's, yeah. It's, it's combobulating tackle. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, that was a shame. And Grant Nisbet does point out in the commentary as well, like he's very clearly feeling his injury. Um, yeah. And that's really slowing him down. And like, we might as well get to it now. Richard Simba gets another intercept later on. Okay, and yeah. goes to dive for the corner and is sadly just so, in touch. Richard Simba is brilliant at everything except diving. 
Yes, I agree. I think really his choice diving. of dive was really poor there. That what he wants to do, and he has common... about there's about eight ways he could have attempted to finish that try. That's it, right? And I think six of them would have guaranteed him a score, and yeah. he goes to one of the two that wouldn't. Agree, because the commentary point out that he probably should cut inside. That that's yeah. probably the play to go for. I don't think he's necessarily wrong to go on the outside, but he has to get low, doesn't he? Yeah. He has to yeah, slide along know. the floor. Either get low or stay very upright and just stop the door board out. Yeah, yeah. Instead, Back he goes like a huge dive. Yeah. And obviously, touching the corner flag was out at the time. And also, yeah. this does just touch the whitewash. Yeah, yeah. Down. So, in a way, he's unlucky. but mm. And also, you but do wonder if it. he was protecting his shoulder by not charging into him. That's was true. Possibly a part of it. But but it, it does feel very... It's opportunity blown that he should have scored that. As a that. yeah, um, as a world class player, he should have scored yeah. that, and he was. Yeah. He is tied as Zimbabwe's all time top World Cup try scorer, and that would have put him clear on it. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's ironic that the one he doesn't score is the one where he doesn't get injured. Yes. <laughs> yeah, he comes up unscathed from that. So, so yes, Neil goes off injured as as mentioned earlier, and. Zimbabwe have just been utterly decimated. Like they have constantly got their best players always going down injured, like throughout the game. And then the bloody Eric Barrett's okay. <laughs> Some bullshit happens, right? Where they've made their two subs, mm. so they have to go down to th- to fourteen men. Oh, of course, right. So yeah. yeah, so Mark Neal goes off about five minutes into the second half, and they have to play the rest of the game with fourteen. So they're one light in the pack, which they were struggling with enough as it was, but just about retaining their own ball. Mm. And so it co- becomes a completely non-contest for the rest of the game. They do. They have one scrum right before they go down, right before Neil goes off. Yeah. Where they almost shove France off the ball, having mm. really struggled with the scrum all day. Yeah. That's basically generally been a bit of a difficulty for them. Yeah. And they have one, but they really put it together and they look on top. And then suddenly, as you say, they go down and... And that's it. Like, they just figured out how to, even if they're going backwards, like, retain the ball and make mm. something good or, or something at least functional out of bad ball. Yeah. Uh, and then suddenly they lose their number eight and their most experienced forward. And they're just really struggling at that point. How disproportionately angry I got earlier. Yes. Um, I do feel for them a bit in this last... Massively. Massively. They, they've been utterly decimated. They have a lot against them. And it's been a very long World Cup. And just because they've played like idiots doesn't mean they deserve to be kind of just torn apart in the way they are and punished for it. Yeah, yeah. There's a point on commentary where it says, um, uh, we're seeing lots of injuries in this World Cup. It might be because the standard of rugby is higher than anything we've ever seen before. So, oh my God, like this is notably higher than they, they've ever seen before. Uh, do they just mean Zimbabwe have seen before? I hope so. Though we are seeing a lot from all angles. Yeah, okay. So as soon as Neil goes off and they're down to 14, mm. the first thing I have written down in my notes is Chave just pisses straight through them. Easy try. Uh, Chave has a moment where he kind of flicks a switch and just becomes... Well, I think we talked about Patrice Le Bon doing the same thing, which is like suddenly sure. becoming class. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, he just kind of like... <laughs> He hits a brilliant line and then just does like, a, no, I'm just going this one. I've got this yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then a few minutes later pops up on the end and like, has another like, no, I've got this one. I've got this one. That's and it. So right after each other. this is the first time, right, I've ever like had a note in my in, in, written in here. And then I've just written times two rather than bothering <laughs> to write out again. 
because he just scores the same try twice. But from further out, like the first yeah. 122, the second one's like halfway. Like he takes a switch and then just pisses through them. That's the yeah. only way I can describe it. Steps around a couple of people, poor ta- weak tackles because they're having to work a bit harder. And that's it. Like, that's um, it. scores, yeah. And then as soon as he gets past to again after scoring those two tries, he drops it. More jug avoidance. Modon yeah, scores think- a hat trick. Yeah. He has a really good second half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Modon goes completes hat trick. Pops up on the end of it's forwards offloading and that. Isn't it? Uh, there's Mesnel does a chip and offloads to him. Oh, is that what? Sorry, which yeah. is really really nice try. Uh, and it looks like Mesnel's going to go the whole way. Turns out he's quite fast, so you can see why they maybe see him well, on the winger. But... Slightly on the wing, yeah. Yeah. Calabero but... gets three tries. I didn't notice any of them. Well, no, you know, I did. I noticed two of them. Yeah. I don't know where he gets the last one, from. he turns up and he's like, "Is his hat trick?" And you're like, "Is it? <laughs> is it?" So his first one is just kind of like a simple 8, 9, 14 move down the blind side. Mm. And then this is where things start to get interesting. And I'll tell you why in a minute. But Estev then scores a try like straight away, like straight from the kickoff. And the way I've described it is that France just piss about from the kickoff. Uh, They throw eight passes. Uh, Modan touches the ball three times in that movement. And then they, they, so they do a little break down the short side and then find a load of space in midfield. De has the ball and offloads to the backs who then have a bit of magic to finish it off with Estev finishing it in the corner as the quickest man on the field, right? Mm. And <laughs> it is lovely. It's very, very nice. It's one of the best tries of the tournament so far. I've not done it justice. Um, and, you know, look, I don't know if you noticed this. In the corner of the pitch, they have a car that says, try of the tournament. I didn't see that. I think he's got a sponsor's name as well. It's got like a sponsor's logo and I couldn't read the sponsor. Right, yeah. Uh, it's probably, but I believe that is a card being given away to whoever wins to try the tournament and just have it parked in the corner of the pitch. In that case, I mean, fair play to Denis Chave throwing that last pass uh, yeah. for Estefan to score it because it's a brilliant car. try. But then again, there was no dogs on the field, so they're not going to win try, try the no, tournament. Not saying, going, no. are they? But what is then interesting is, so that, that Cambo try that I just mentioned, the one with the blind side, that try is scored, right? Where on the video on YouTube, there are 25 minutes left of the game. Okay. What I didn't realise is that <laughs> with 25 minutes left in this game of rugby, I would only witness four more tackles in the whole game. <laughs> uh, what? So... <laughs> The next tackle is made 11 minutes later. <laughs> You're kidding. It felt no, like that. I'm not kidding. So, uh, I, I, have, I have this written down. So, Canberra Barrow scores that try. Estev then scores that try. And then I have written in my notes, Oh, superb tennis! Because Ferreira hits the line brilliantly. Does a little nice arc on the outside. Yeah. Does the... World Cup's most gorgeous inside flick out the back of his hand. Right. To set up Pete Colback to score an amazing try on first phase. This is the thing I was saying about him having the raw materials. Like you can look at that guy, Andy Ferreira, and go like, oh, there's a there's a player there. There's a it was class. Like, see how he tear it up in the Zimbabwe leagues. But, you know, in the like in the bloody tobacco farming leagues, mm-hmm. um, you know, the tobacco farming divisions, I can see where he'd absolutely tear it up. But also, he looks out of his depth here. But every now and again, you get a flash of it like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was great. It was great. And like, yeah, Colbeck's line predicted it really, really yeah. well. And like, you look from the first angle, you assume it's just knocked loose out of his hand. Mm. But you look at the replay, like, no, he really delicately offloads the ball out the back like of his hand. Out the back of his hand, yeah. Fantastic. And 
players can't do that in this World Cup. I think that's the first time I've seen someone successfully do that for it to lead to a try. I guess so yeah, it's unbelievable. It's Andy such Guerrero, a great piece of skill. Remember the name? Yeah, exactly. Tennis Someone's prodigy. So yeah, after that, so Zimbabwe then drop the kickoff, and France then just just go wide to Cambarimbero, who scores like straight from the kickoff. It's dropped, and they just pass the ball as wide as they can, and then they just draw and give, draw and give, draw and give. You know the sort of try that Jiffy thinks is possible in every phase. Uh, and yeah, Cambarimbero scores in the corner. Yeah, um, so... <laughs> it's simple, doesn't it? Like it was really like, oh, they've they've actually scored this, right? Yeah, yeah, just on first phase once again. Then straight from the kickoff. France are penalised for obstruction in open play. Zimbabwe have it between the posts and they go, you know what, let's just go for goal. I really, I don't know how I feel about that decision. I think it's just a laugh because they know what's, yeah. they know what the position they're in. Yeah, they? they are like 50 odd points down at this point. Mm. And they're not going to score, and are they? They're going to kick it away. 10 metres out. But they've just had Andy Freo do the most gorgeous thing you've ever seen in your life. It is true. And just so suddenly turn into Sonny Bill. Yeah. Um, so they kick for goal. And then, about five minutes later, a tackle is made. Mm. So, the last time a tackle was made, the score was 40 points to three. <laughs> By the time this next tag was made, the score was 56-12. <laughs> but that does explain it. So, in the non-tackle period, the score was 16-12 to France. That's a full match. Yeah. That's a full match, 69. Nice. Yeah, no, it, was it was nine rather than 12. I just... Oh, um... I wasn't making a joke, sorry. I was just... Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. But yes, still. So, yeah, it was just over 11 minutes between tackles being made. And eventually it happens. And like, yeah, France have scored three tries and Zimbabwe have scored one in that time. Rodriguez then scores a pushover try. From a resulting scrum after two tackles have been made consecutively, to make it sixty-two ten, and then the commentators just become obsessed with Cambarabero potentially breaking his record. Yeah. They suddenly start talking about nothing else. In the way we had a lot of with Hastings, the previous match, mm. but even more so here. I think I think they yeah. talk about nothing else. They literally say like as France start running the ball from it because every single kickoff Zimbabwe just kick it into the France end goal and they run it out every time. They yeah. don't force it for the dropout and they never learn from it. But yeah, they, so Grant Nisbet literally says, like, could France now spark the try that will lead to Canberra converting it? Which is not the way around you usually do it. But. No. And then France nearly go the length. There's Canberra himself go for a little chip kick over the top of Ferreira, hmm. regathers the ball, does a brilliant offload, and France, I think, knock it on just short. Nearly go, nearly go the length, as I say. Then France set for a scrum. And there's, there's, there's a couple of things here. I think one thing that's important, and I guess this could be a potential man of the match or dick of the day qualifier, is that Deborka takes water from the Zimbabwe medic. Huh. The Zimbabwe medic is tending to a player who's down on the floor. And hmm. Deborka says, can I have your water? And the guy's just kind of hesitant. And he just takes it off him and starts drinking it. <laughs> Some great shithousing there. It's brilliant. I think I think it qualifies him more for man of the match than dick of the day. but. Especially after having played a good game. But France then fix the record by, yes. from this scrum five, just obviously, attack, like really obviously attacking the blind side just so Canberra and Berra could get his hat trick and dive in the corner. Crucially, he gets to break the record, but not his dad's record because they make yes. sure he has to take it in the corner. Yes. So yeah, he dives in the corner, misses his own kick. 
misses his own kick. What's he going to so, do? Yeah. Other than get another shot at it later on, because we're on to the last try of the game now. We have oh. whizzed through these. It's so two hours. <laughs> but we've not spoken about the game. So Laporte, it is who scores the last try, where Mesnel makes a really nice break and offload, where it mm. looks like Mesnel's going to go the whole way, has the ball in one hand the entire time. He's described as looking a bit chunky on the commentary mm-hmm. and then delivers, yeah, nice one-handed offload and Laporte just canters in, but not near enough to the posts for Canberra and Barrow to break his dad's record. Which means we have a second consecutive world record on the podcast. Does we do? You are going to ignore it for a second consecutive week as we pick our man of the match. Genuinely, I spent the entire second half really hoping he doesn't break the record because I have genuinely been really pissed off at myself for that man of the match thing last week. Why did I not just pick the player who was obviously the best on the pitch? Why did I go like, oh yeah, let's let's pick somebody else just because I want to be different from these guys even though I'm going first. Like, genuinely I've lost sleep over that and I tweeted about this the other day. What a stupid fucking thing. I write about rugby. Like, if somebody did that on the television, I'd be like, oh, this guy's a fucking idiot. Get him off the telly. Like... Honestly, man, I'm so annoyed at myself. So I spent the whole time just thinking, like, I really hope Karen Barabero doesn't get that record because, yeah. like, I had written exactly. down as my man of the match, Modan, because yeah. he scored a hat-trick and played brilliantly all game round. And Cam Barabero didn't do much in the first half, did fucking loads in the second. So part of me wants to give man of the match to Gavin Hastings right now. <laughs> but realistically... Just mm. to piss my past self off, my man of the match is Canberra and Barrow. Okay. It's just as well that my man of the match is Rodif Modin, the scrum Thank God. Who was oh. a man of the match even if he didn't score his tries. Sure. Um, yeah, oh, he was brilliant. The best player on the pitch. This um, is my redemption arc. Link play, his general scrum offiness. Yeah. Um, looked like open play was good, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah. Um, just yeah, generally open play, turning up, keeping things going, keeping friends' continuity really high. I don't yeah. know how he doesn't win another cap after this. I thought it's fantastic. He stood out. Do you not win another cap? He doesn't win another cap. So he has the same I legacy think. as Neville Cloppers. <laughs> same legacy as Neville. He Cloppers. scored a hat trick on his only cap in actually, the World Cup. Actually, the name of his autobiography, <laughs> the legacy of Neville Cloppers. Yep, this is this is it. This is it for a deep. That's down. that's obscene. Yep. Scores a hat trick, is the best player on the pitch, then disappears forever. That's stupid. Why France. would you do that? He was the best player. France. Oh my god, that's hilarious. And just genuinely terrible. Um yep. oh the man. Bezier comes back in and that's us. That's it done. That's his career. Well, you've managed to find a way to make me regret my man of the match choice still, but no, I'm gonna stick with it because them's the rules, apparently. Yeah. Um, Went on to play for another four years for Brief, where he played over 200 games. And I bet he was amazing. Yeah, but only one cap. Potentially two if we're counting that USA one. Um, That's true. But that's insane. Like, Unless you're Craig Gilroy, Mm. your last cap should never end with scoring a hat-trick and then just getting dropped into the league forever. Yeah, that's that's obscene, that is. Players that were dropped rather than retiring after a hat-trick happened to be the last game. Um, they said they were retiring his advance. They happened to go hat trick in the final game, you know. Yeah, yeah. Shane Williams style. He didn't score a hat trick, but you know what I mean. Anyway, dick of the day. So I had written down 
can Baron Barrow if he doesn't get the record? I wrote that down like 60 minutes in. And also, at the end of the game, a kid asks him for his autograph and he just shakes his head. <laughs> uh, which is pretty dickish, but I'm not going to give it to him. I don't know. I don't know. I have written down Modan. I, I suppose that's probably for his um, jug avoidance. And Ferreira for... <laughs> There's a point where Andy Ferreira tries to keep the ball in play. <laughs> and Grant Nisbet points out, so Andy Ferreira tried to keep the ball in play, but he got the wrong line. So oh. he was stood on the five meters line rather than the touch line and jumps to like keep the ball in play and bats it inwards, but it's already still in play. So it's fine. <laughs> so, yes, it has to be him. It has to be him. I wanted to give it to whatever dickhead killed Monsieur Le Drop, but that's an eternal dick of the day. I can, that's yeah. Once we find out who it is. He's dick of the day, but it's Andy Ferreira. It's it's the last game I'm likely to see him play in, so I think it's got to be him. Speaking of last game I'm likely to see him play in, my dick of the day could never be anyone other than the one, the only, Eric Barrett. <laughs> for A, picking himself in the team, which yep. is a dickhead move, but B, for picking this god-awful team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not only picked himself, but he picked the rest of them as well. Exactly. He should have just picked you... Simba and Neil to do it by themselves. Simba this... and Neil's a strange Lion King like lion. <laughs> he picked, yeah, Simba, who was visibly injured. Yeah. But you can glance at him and know he's injured. And yet he and... was the one who made the most sense to pick. Yep. And he only gave Neville Cloppers one game. Yeah, exactly. Should have picked him more, man. Oh, that's such an really apt news, selection. Though? What? Can I give you some awful news? You know when you said this is the last time you see Andy Ferreira play? Go on. He goes on to play again in the 1991 Rugby World Cup. Fuck off. He retires after the 91 Oh, no. So we haven't seen the back of him now. Oh. The thing is, it's going to be in like three years' time we get to that World Cup. And you should be like, oh, remember this guy? (laughs) He was terrible, the tennis player. I'm excited for it. But in the meantime, we say Sara Viznakana can 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 Kanaka. Sara Kamanan Kamanaka. I'm really sorry. That's horrible. We say goodbye to Zimbabwe. <laughs> so this is the last we'll see of Zimbabwe in this World Cup. They do play again in the 1991 World Cup which is the only time they ever qualify again. They, of yeah. course, were only really put in this World Cup so that they could give South Africans someone to cheer for. Yeah. Look, uh, I enjoyed them certainly in the first game. Uh, yeah. I think I enjoyed them as a novelty generally, to be honest, I, even though they weren't that good. I've been very harsh on them, I think, in this game. And I think a large part of that is because it was a handful of clubs picking their own, you know? Sure. And it feels very rugby union. Clicky. In the yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I get that. We are a few about it. And I really hope by 91, the squad makeup has changed a lot and it's far more representative mm. in that way. 100%. Um, and is, yeah, tapping into the best athletes they have as well. Yeah. Um, I think in terms of picking... Yeah, nowadays, what we see in like modern Zimbabwe teams that are yeah. very different. Yeah, definitely. This team hit. I think in terms of picking a player of the tournament for them, it's bizarre because he played one game at full fitness, but Richard Simba was a cut above the rest of them. Um, 
And like, I just, I just think there's, it's different. I mean, Mark Neal, as I say, is the other one who really yeah. stands out, who was genuinely very good and consistent throughout the, the games they played. So yeah, it's, it's between those two. And I imagine you're in full agreement. I, yeah, completely agreed on those two. And Richard Zumba to me stands out as the, yeah. the best player in the Zimbabwe team. Yeah. Uh, and he's worthy of goals. It's maybe the best players Zimbabwe's ever produced. And yeah. It's hard to argue that. 100%. 100%. By the way, what music are we listening to? Uh, this is Zimbabwe by Bob Marley. Nice. Um, Dick of the day, Dick of the tournament is Andy Ferreira for me. Eric Barrett again. Oh yeah. It's got to be Eric bloody Barrett. Yeah, it does. bloody Brian Murphy for not putting Neville Cloppers in. It's true. Look, I know that we haven't given Neville Cloppers Zimbabwe and play the tournament because he only played one game, right? But when it comes to the overall one, he is not ruled out. He's not ruled out one bit. So, farewell to Zimbabwe. France move on to the quarterfinals where they'll play Fiji. And we will, next week, move on to Wales's game against Canada where they can book their place in the quarterfinal. Or can Canada do it? No, Wales win. I'm sorry. <laughs> I am gutted for the bear. Yep. We have just four games five games of the pool stage left uh we're almost there we're almost into the knockouts yeah um and that also means we're almost back to super boot so that's the real yes because that's who france are going to play against so serge blanco is about to get his ass handed to him so we'll see you then for more rugby thank you for listening to this congratulations on getting the whole way through yeah we'll see you very very soon and hopefully I'll see you in Birmingham Newsery on my way back when I'm probably watching bloody England against the USA for the following game. Yeah. I'll see you next on your birthday. I guess. Bye. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.